Welcome to Podcast for Leaderful Schools, coming to you almost live from Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. This is Bob Maxfield, and I'm joined today by my ever-wonderful co-host, Dr. Suzanne Klein. And uh, so we never could begin these without a weather report, and so it's uh, mid-March here in Michigan, and... The snow is melting and almost gone in the lower part of the mitten. Um, we're slated to have more sunshine today. We've been on a roll for about a week, so people are feeling like springs in the air. And I even saw someone driving down Woodward Avenue in a convertible eating an ice cream cone the other day, Bob. Had it been a different kind of car, it could have been you. <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, yeah. So um, we are, for our listeners, this is the uh, kind of the fourth in a series of podcast interviews uh, that we sort of labeled the Great Reset. Um, you know, podcast for Leaderful Schools is all about school leadership and particularly uh, school leadership that engages everyone. And so um, we've invited a series of guests who can, uh, who brought, we think, bring unique insights into this whole issue of what is, what's going on in public education today during the pandemic and what, what's it need to look like after. So today it's a real treat to be able to welcome Dr. Lou Glazer, who is the uh, CEO of uh, Michigan Futures Inc. Uh, and uh, a guy that we've been able to call on two or three times for various forums because we always appreciate his, his wonderful insights. So Lou, delighted you could be with us. My pleasure. So why don't we just, we'll begin by letting you uh, introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and. What led you to create Michigan Future and, uh, um, and what it's currently about? Yep. Yeah, it's a, I haven't been asked that question in quite a while. <laughs> um, so I have a master's degree in urban planning from the University of Michigan, if you want to go back that far. Um, so uh, I ended up working for Governor Blanchard. I was part of his economic and community development team. Um, and when he lost, um, I decided that I didn't want to work in government um, as a next job, largely because I thought he, you know, I don't know if I would think the same thing now as I did then. Um, that, um, I mean, the main lesson I have learned from working for Governor Blanchard was, is all the good stuff that we did was never powerful enough to make a real difference. So I wanted to find a, uh, a forum for sort of making fundamental change. So this is like 30 years ago, we ended up creating Michigan Future as a think tank focused on sort of the economic well-being of Michigan households to try to figure out, because we understood even then, I always joke with people, this is before the Netscape browser. So this is like pre-internet. Uh, but even then we understood that the economy was changing fundamentally because of globalization and technology. And we wanted to learn and then share our learnings with folks in Michigan, particularly people in leadership positions, um, sort of what it was gonna take for Michigan to return to being a high prosperity state, a, a place with a broad middle class. So, you know, basically that's what we've been working on for 30 years. And in many ways, 
um, it still is relevant today as it was 30 years ago. I mean, we're still struggling with sort of understanding what um, what good paying work looks like, uh, the skills that people need to get it, what Michigan has to do to be one of those places. So, you know, that, that's been the core of our work now for three decades. Well, th I think you could safely say that it's more important now than ever. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think so. So why don't we turn to the, turn to the education side of it, because I think that's a great transition. Yep. I would agree, Bob, because the context for education is the state and the communities which wrap themselves around public education today. And that's clearly where you've had not only interest, but impact, Luke. The theme of our podcast series, as Bob has mentioned, is this notion of resetting education post-pandemic. What have we learned? What do we want to keep? What are we missing? Where might we step into improvements that we now see more clearly than we might have before? This is particularly important because, as you are well aware, schools are returning to in-person learning. And as a result of that reflection, some feel schools have um, now been in closer touch with issues and concerns that might have been previously overlooked or people didn't have time for. Now with this realization, I think, and a chance for reflection, and I, I appreciate your head nodding as I'm saying this, it gives us all an opportunity to say, okay, let's take a closer look now. What might we do differently? What might we do the same? I'm curious, what do you hope has been learned during this time? And what advice might you offer for school leaders moving forward? Yep. Well, hopefully the first thing we've learned is, is that this notion that has been promoted by some sectors of the business community and some folks for ideological reasons, that online learning can replace in-person learning is absolute nonsense. I mean, to me, I mean, I, I certainly hope that's one of the lessons that we've learned. Uh, you know, we didn't want it, but we've now all had an experience with basically only online learning. And hopefully we've all concluded that it's inferior education, that that's not what the future should be. Um, more broadly, I hope that we have learned that uh, the focus on the content that's on standardized tests is a small part of what education should be all about, not the main part of what education should be about. And if, as we seem to be headed, uh, particularly for non-affluent students, uh, we're going into an environment where everybody wants to double down on so-called learning loss. That would be a horrible lesson to learn uh, from uh, from the pandemic. I mean, if any, hopefully we have learned that there's a whole set of skills that are not sort of content specific that that really are what matter most uh, for kids. So hopefully those are the two big lessons that we've learned, that in-person learning is the way in which most education should be delivered to all kids, and that a focus on sort of narrow content standards uh, that are measured by standardized tests 
is a small part, not, not a main part of what kids need to be successful adults. I'm wondering again, with your perspective, looking at the state um, and the, the thinking that you've been doing, obviously, which has been deep as well as broad with Michigan Futures, what are some of those other skills that you have in mind? I, I'm guessing um, I can uh, identify some of those, but again, you're, we're fortunate enough to have your perspective with us today. Dive a little bit deeper into that for our listeners, would you please? Yep. Um, so we've ended up um, adopting the six C's from the book, Becoming Brilliant, as sort of the best definition of sort of foundation skills that, that, that all students need, uh, irrespective of what they decide to do after high school. So th those are uh, collaboration, communication. It does include content. Uh, critical thinking, creativity, and confidence. Um, so our sense is, you know, we've been using for pre-becoming brilliant, <clears throat> we've been using this analogy that 40-year career success looks a lot more like rock climbing uh, than ladder climbing, that sort of we've had this... Um, notion that, um, you know, that people get a first job and then there's a defined sort of career ladder up uh, in a world in which sort of work is constantly being changed by globalization, increasingly technology. Um, we believe that, that folks to have successful careers need to be sort of agile and constant learners uh, that they need to be, you know, that career success is going to be uh, ad hoc rather than linear and unpredictable rather than predictable. So that, that's where we came up with the rock climbing analogy. To us, the six C's are the definition of, 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 of rock climbing skills. So that's, that's why the, we've ended up um, sort of using those skills as sort of the definition of the skill set that all of us need to have successful 40-year uh, careers. Uh, I would also argue that they also are not just career success skills, they're life success skills. And I think one of the things that we need to re-emphasize in education is, is that K-16 education is about more than a good paying career that there are a whole set of other aspects of successful adult life that are equally as important as earning a living. I, I couldn't agree more. And as you widen your lens with that last comment, particularly, um, you've offered some advice for school leaders. Broaden that lens for a moment, if you would. What about the state of Michigan's post-pandemic priorities? What policies, programs do you see aligning with the priorities you just have been talking about to create good citizens who are going to lead productive uh, and, and lives and lives with meaning and purpose? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I, I would say three things. First is, is we need to reinstitute a bipartisan consensus that schooling is about more than a job or a career. I mean, I just think it's that fundamental, and I think we've gotten off track. I mean, I want to 
I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I, I've mentioned this in sort of previous activities that I've done with you guys, that the conversation that we have about education is fundamentally different. If we start with the question, what education do you want for your children? as compared to what education do we want for sort of society at large kind of thing. And to me, the first question is the only one uh, that matters. Uh, but anyway, so getting back to sort of state policy, one is reestablishing that education is about more than just a job or a career. Second is de-emphasizing the test. I think the test is at the unintended consequence of doing horrible things for both curriculum and pedagogy. And third is making the success the foundation skills for all. Those, those three are sort of the building blocks that we need to reestablish. And what I would argue is, is the kind of folks that are involved in the activities that you're engaged in and we at Michigan Future are engaged in. Uh, when it comes to the education they want for their, their own, our own kids, the answer to those three questions is much different than it is than we've been asking policymakers for, for other people's kids. Uh, and I just think that we have got to stop doing that. Um, that, that the answer to what's the purpose of education, what role the standardized tests and what foundation skills that, that we want for our own kids need to be the answer that we have state policy put in place for all kids. Back though to the, the short-term the short dilemma that, and I think it is truly a, a significant problem uh, that people like Nikolai Vitti are facing right now. Uh, and, you know, it's, yes, we shouldn't be building the future around so-called learning loss, but for many children, there has been a huge learning loss. Uh, and uh, Vidi talks about a, during the virtual instruction phase at one point, I think he said that there was something like, their true truancy rate was something like 70%. Uh, yep. uh, kids who just simply weren't signing in, families who weren't able to. So how do we, how do we address that coming out of this? I mean, as, as we said, as Sue said at the beginning of that question, that the pandemic has laid bare the inequities that were already there. Uh, but now we're stuck with it. Right. So, you know, I, I, <clears throat> so we are not saying that basic literacy doesn't matter. Uh, what we're saying is, uh, I think it's two things. One is, is that it probably doesn't matter most. Uh, you know, that, that there are other sets of skills that, that matter at least equally, if not more. But secondly, I think I would argue is that you can't get to building literacy skills unless you have dealt with, you know, what, I don't like the term social emotional learning, but, but there, there's a whole set of, of capacities that come before sort of basic literacy um, and that might be more important. One of the really interesting things in Becoming Brilliant is, is that the authors argue that 
um, sort of collaboration and communication sort of in terms of brain development come before content so that you can't skip those two steps. And yet, increasingly, we're starting with content and ignoring everything, everything else. So even if you care about learning loss, I think that, that you can't start with it. If you were invited by Governor Whitmer and, and there was this magically a bipartisan consensus in Lansing, which is a dream that we all cherish, but isn't too realistic right now. Uh, yeah, although I would say, Bob, I mean, one of the... Of, of meeting the needs of the Detroits and Flints and Pontiacs and Saginaw's of say, what would, what would be an agenda that you, that Lou Glazer would be embracing short-term and then, I think we know what the long-term part is. Well, I think the first thing is, so here, here's, so the first thing is, is that I would want schools, I mean, and clearly there's an early childhood component to this as well. I would want Detroit schools designed for the same purpose as uh, Gross Point and Farmington, period. Yes. So, you know, the education that the two of you were providing or were designed to provide for students in the district you led need to be the same design as is true in urban areas. And at the moment, it is simply not the case. So, so affluent kids, by and large, are in schools that are designed to build broad liberal arts sort of skills uh, where the assumption is, is that a preponderance of all, if not all kids are going to go to a four-year degree university. And non-affluent kids are fundamentally in schools today that are designed around building discipline, standardized test skills, and first job skills. And that design sort of mismatch has got to end. To me, that's the single most important thing is that we've got systems at the moment that are designed to build a different set of skills in affluent kids than non-affluent kids. And until that ends, we're not making, you, you cannot deal with any of the equity concerns that we have in society. So once you get the design right, we can have a conversation about how you implement the design, how you execute the design. But at the moment, the fundamental problem with K-12 education in Michigan is, is that we've got separate and unequal designs in, in what we want from schools. Stay with that for a second, Lou. Why, why is that? How, did that? how did that evolve that way? I mean, is it that parents in Farmington and Gross Point just demanded something different and parents in Detroit didn't, or? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, so I, I don't know if I know the answer to that. Um, but I do think in part it comes from F, people in leadership positions ending up wanting a different education for their kids than they want for all kids. Okay. Uh, which is, 
horrible. I mean, really unconscionable. And I don't know if it was on purpose or it just was an unintended consequence. But um, but you know that's what we've ended up with, um, and uh, and that's got to be reversed. So what I'm hearing you saying is that failure to address those that systemic deficiency, that's the systemic inequity is critical, is always going to get in the way of any other kind of reform. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. There's absolutely no question about it. So, you know, we've been using the movie uh, Most Likely to Succeed, which is a documentary about high tech high, to sort of show people what schooling might, should, you know, it, it's one way of building the succeeds. From our perspective, it's probably the, the best way of building the succeeds. Um, and, um, so, you know, and largely the folks that we talk to are in leadership positions, um, in, in a variety of fields around the state. Uh, and most everybody who watches the movie when they leave, ask me, why the hell can my kid be in a school like that? The real question they should be asking is, why can't all kids be in a school that looks like that? That's the vision that we need. And the interesting thing about the movie and about High Tech High is, is that the skill set that they're building is more rigorous than what's on standardized tests, not less rigorous, but it's also broader. Uh, it's so, and, and it has a fundamentally different pedagogy uh, than we've imposed on most kids, particularly non-affluent kids. Uh, that's where we need to head. See, we, we went into this interview today thinking that Luke Glazer would give us a quick fix idea. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. So, um, well, so I think there's no quick fix. Um, but I do think that there is a implementable shared vision that hopefully we can quickly agree to. I mean, getting from vision to, from, to execution is really hard, but at the moment for most kids, we have the wrong vision. And until we change that, we're not getting the outcomes that we want for all kids. And by the way, I mean, I hate to say this, but I'm not exactly sure that ed schools have been a positive force in getting to that vision. So, you know, I think higher ed has a role to play in this as well. Hey, um, Sue, I, maybe you want to pick up on this, because I, I, you're closer to it than I am. The, uh, the remaking of both the elementary and secondary teacher preparation program at Oakland mm -hmm. seems to be responding to something, some of what Lou just said. Well, Michigan's gone through some interesting conversations
questions about a lot of things relating to education. As Bob mentioned, there has been a focus on teacher preparation that is now just being rolled out over the next year and a half in colleges and universities that prepare teachers. There are also new standards that have just been um, proposed for education leaders, both at the school level, building principals, assistant principals, as well as at the central office level, which have um, a nice connection to them in terms of some things you just have been speaking about. The notion of education for all kids being something that um, provides them not only with basic skills, but habits of mind, dispositions, and ways to find success in their life uh, on a personal as well as the vocational side of things. Oakland um, has just redone its teacher ed program and is starting to roll it out in the fall. So I, I would invite you to uh, let us send you some information about yeah. that and, and give us some reaction to it. It's yeah. it's not that um, we've, we've found all the answers. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Cynthia Carver, who's the, the uh, chair of the teacher ed department and her department have been working on this for several years in response to some of the questions and challenges you just laid out. Yeah, yeah if, 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 um, if the preparation of teachers and administrators is moving in the direction of building in all kids, a set of broad rigorous schools that are beyond standardized tests with a more project-based pedagogy, that would be terrific. Um, there's, there's a lot of that in there, Lou, and to get um, from the, the pouring of the tea into the cup and drinking it, as you know, implementation is key. It's hard. And, uh, so the, the notion of what that looks like as the teacher prep program basically responds to those new standards, not only, not only at Oakland, but across the state, is the key piece to watch closely as teachers graduate and move into the field. I would also say another important piece is what school districts do with their professional development time. Oh, uh, no. Their faculty and staff, is, as you well know, uh, there's a lot of people who have children in first grade and third grade and ninth grade and are hoping not only for the best but also hoping that uh, the school district in which they reside is going to prepare that child with those six C's skills that you speak of. Um, so the notion not only what teacher prep is doing to get the pipeline of teachers moving in more ready to be responsive to the mission and vision you've laid out, but then how can we also impact um, as school leaders in colleges and universities, the, the uh, group of folks that are currently in classrooms so that they can continue to expand and, and grow their skills. Yep, uh, no question. Um, you know, professional development by and large, um, except in a handful of districts and charters in Michigan that are trying to make a transition consistent aligned with the 60s, whether they call it or not. But by and large, professional development has not been helpful in building 60s skills in all students. So it, it fundamentally needs to be reinvented. Um, so um, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's part of the execution challenge for realizing this vision. To me, the reason, the main reason why PD is not 
uh, helpful uh, still is, is that most districts don't have the right vision. So they're professionally developing people for, to build, to build a way too narrow set of skills in, in students. Well, as we get near the end of our time, and I didn't want to, important question to give you a chance to look even further into the future, and that is, you know, what, are, what are some challenges and opportunities you see five and 10 years out? Not just necessarily limited education, but what do you, what's your feel on the American future radar screen looking, uh, looking out into this upcoming decade? Well, I think when it comes to the economy, uh, and as I said, that's just one of the dimensions for which we want to build education. I mean, I mean, I, th I think one can make a fairly strong case that uh, the murder of George Floyd and the um, attempted violent coup to overturn democracy in America are more important issues than the economy uh, in that we need schools that are able to deal with sort of both of those topics or areas uh, in terms of preparing people for sort of adulthood um, in a in sort of in the America of the future. But when it comes to the economy, the thing to me that is most missing is, is that people do not have a good understanding of what the labor market of today and tomorrow is all about. So that we're, you know, we're still trying to build kids that fit into sort of a 20th century paradigm rather than sort of the economy that they're going to live and work in kind of thing. And, um, and so having a much better understanding of what good paying work looks like today and tomorrow, and, you know, and this difference between rock climbing and ladder climbing and that sort of STEM and the skill trades are not the only two paths to good paying work. I mean, there's a whole set of, um, sort of sort of misdirection in what we are doing when it comes to the economy. Um, I mean, to me, that's, if anything, that's the most important thing for the next five or 10 years is, is to have a much better understanding much more broadly about that. Um, there's a community college in New York City that's part of the CUNY system that's called Gutman, which is sort of the newest of their campuses, which requires all students to take a year long course in what they call the ethnography of work, where students basically spend a year learning how people earn a living in New York City. That should be part of the education of all kids, and I would argue of all educators. Because unless you understand that, you're—it's very hard to have an education system that prepares people for good-paying work going forward. If you don't understand what good-paying work is, and it—it's not aligned with our current conventional wisdom. That's a—that's a great framework for for looking into the future and beginning with those very fundamental questions. Yep. 
Can I do one thing? Um, so, <clears throat> uh, you know, if people want to learn more about our perspective, uh, they can check us out at michiganfuture.org. Okay. Um, I do think that every educator should read Becoming Brilliant. If there's one book that I would recommend, that's the book. Uh, if you have time for two, the second book would be In Search of Deeper Learning. Um, which is an amazing book written by uh, John Mehta of Harvard and Sarah Fine, who at the time was at Harvard, but now uh, is running the education school that's connected to High Tech High. So this is really interesting. They were, they were given a group of what were considered the best high schools in America, which they thought they were gonna write a book about and came back and concluded that that those schools weren't that great and and ended up concluding that what was great about those schools was not the core courses but their electives and extracurriculars and it basically ended up writing a book about about schooling should look like extracurriculars and electives it's a terrific book but becoming brilliant is first certainly link that on our website so that we have that that resource being made available to everybody. Sue, is there anything else you wanted to add before we bring this to a close? I, I think your recommendations for ways to think about um, professional development as well as how we might learn and read more about places that are successful are going to particularly resonate with our listeners. So thank you uh, for chiming in on that and particularly for the opportunity to learn more with the two books you recommended. That's always um, a good way to reposition ourselves, it, you know, in terms of what we still need to learn more about and then are the focus areas that we think are the key ones, that vision of all kids learning and being successful, really as well focused as they need to be. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for uh, asking me. So uh, we'll stay in line for a second after we wrap it up. So, so dear listeners, thank you. Thank you for being part of this installment of uh, Podcast for Leaderful Schools. Uh, I always need to remind us that uh, our guest has agreed to be recorded. Uh, yep. We have a requirement to do that. So uh, that is indeed true in this, the case of Lou Glazer. So please join us as we continue this series of looking at ways to make schools better in the future and to provide a leaderful uh, setting in which all school leaders can be involved in, in charting their future. And thank you again for being part of today's podcast for Leaderful Schools. Thank you.